and welcome again to the year-end Let the Right Films In podcast series in which we talk about movies we love this year with people we love. Now, uh, some of our favorite returning and new guests, I am your host, Tyler Hannon, and with me, as always, every time, I don't know why I'm emphasizing it, Kayla St. Ange. Hello. Kayla, thank you for joining me here today. I mean, always. I always do, except for when I don't. <laughs> <laughs> but you know when you are always here for our year-end podcast series, and that's what we have today. Yes. Uh, if you have missed any of the other segments, or you just haven't felt like listening to them, or if the movies on this one just look like more your cup of tea than any of the other episodes, the way that this works is that Tyler and I are both going to talk about a movie that we really liked this year, and then we're going to send you off into guest land, where the guests will tell you about movies that they loved this year. And it will be an amazing time. Mm. So, uh, without further ado, Tyler, would you like to tell me about a movie that you loved this year? Well, Kayla, it's funny that you mention a cup of tea because, you know, tea is an integral part in the life of a royal such as the one presented in Yorgos Lanthimos's The Favorite. Dearest Queen, you are mad, giving me a palace. It is a monstrous extravagance. Mrs. Molly, we are at war. We won! Oh, it is not over. We must continue. Oh! Oh, I did not know that. Favor is a breeze that shifts direction all the time. Then, in an instant, you're back sleeping with a bunch of scabrous whores. As it turns out, I am capable of much unpleasantness. <laughs> did you just look at me? Look at me! How dare you! Close your eyes! Stand by and let you destroy me. <laughs> you are enjoying all of this, aren't you? <laughs> oh, it is fun to be queen sometimes. If you do not go, I will start kicking you. And I will not stop. My dear friend, how good to see you've returned from hell. I'm sure you shall pass through it one day. Which is a movie I only saw a bit ago, so there's some recency bias, but lordy, is this a good movie. Yorgos wanted to do a period piece, didn't really feel like doing the research, so he did a Yorgos Lanthimos British period piece about Queen Anne and her gout, and basically it's a movie about the titular Queen Anne, a uh, royal who has been coddled her entire life and thus uh, is a bit... Soft? Soft. It, she is very soft. And Rachel Weiss plays her favorite, her, uh, like handmaiden in a way her but essentially the woman who helps her with everything and we do mean everything including ruling the country and then emma stone enters as a like a, a down on her luck lady who wants to be the favorite herself and basically it is a movie about opulence power manipulation uh the weakness of human beings and the relationships and friendships between women and how all of those things interact with each other. It is such an opulent movie. It, even if you didn't do any research, Yorgos sure does make royalty look like just terrible. Just terrible. <laughs> so wasteful and it turned like it does, it seems miserable to even be in. But it, this movie is has such tremendous performances from Olivia Coleman, Rachel Weiss, Emma Stone and her giant giant eyes and Nicholas Holt who 
Uh, I don't think ever actually wants to just have his regular face in a movie. I think he only ever wants to cover it up with makeup until you can't recognize it's him. They are all outstanding in this movie. You you yourself have shifting loyalties and which of these three women you're rooting for most, which are most sympathetic, because you are alternately sympathetic to but opposed to each of them in turn. They all have their own flaws, but they all you also understand what their goals are and what they're trying to do. And it's just this struggle throughout as these two women vie to be the queen's favorite and the queen who is kind of an adult toddler in many ways tries to be an adult and make decisions for herself sometimes, but also just wants to have her favorite take care of her. It is another movie that has, uh, going back to Suspiria in another episode, uh, has this kind of portentous act structure, but the way it's done just feeds into the opulence. It feels very specific. This movie is like sometimes very bracing as your any Yorgos Lanthimos movie is, but it's also just fun in many ways. Uh, just watching them struggle and seeing Rachel Weiss really rock some pantsuits. <laughs> I am so jealous because I want to see this movie so badly and I haven't had time at all because of work. So all that I can say about this movie is that Taylor Swift has seen it and that is amazing. I just want you to think about Taylor Swift going to the premiere of a Yorgos Lanthimos film and then promoting the Yorgos Lanthimos film on her Instagram because her quote unquote boyfriend is in it, but also because it's about a lesbian love triangle, which if we're talking about things that I think that Taylor Swift cares about, I think that's the part she might like more. Winky wink. (laughs) So yeah, that's all I have to say about that on Forge because I haven't seen it yet, but going to come back for it with a vengeance. And discuss how this is actually an adaptation of the life of Taylor Swift. No, Taylor Legally, Swift Legally, we cannot say any of this. Taylor Swift is very smart and capable, and she would never act like an adult toddler, so. Okay. There are like a thousand people were just like, yes, she would, and I don't care. I don't care about any of your opinions about Taylor Swift, sorry. <laughs> Which is the most important part of this segment. I will say the very so a very common refrain re- refrain around this movie that it is Yorgos's best and his most accessible and I am just gonna go ahead and fall in line with the chorus because it's kind of true. I still haven't seen Killing of a Sacred Deer, but like I love the Lobster. I do love his much his more bleak work, and that bleakness is still here in parts. But I like that he delves a lot into. These very mannered worlds that he can create, which are like totally bizarre, but somehow the behaviors in them, while heightened, are still recognizable. It's just, he is a very specific filmmaker, and I really enjoy watching his work, even when it makes me want to die. This one does not, though. This one is, uh, it's, man, for by his standards, it's almost a romp. Got it. Now I'm just thinking about, like, the wardrobe in this. So you'd say that it's your favorite. Boo. Nope. Nope. (laughs) Too late. Got it out. (laughs) Uh, I would say I like it very much, Kayla. I even love it. I'm quite fond of it. So, like, you're... (laughs) Anyways, so, as if, like, for all this talking about, like, how fun it is and, like, how... And it makes me feel like how some people must feel about like reality television competitions where you're just like watching people tear each other apart for your own entertainment. You're like, yes, more. You're so good. 
But because it's Yorkos, you still get some of those elements where he will just slip in something. And you're like, shatter. You're like, oh, no. Humanity is terrible. Oh, wow. I don't know how the guy who directed Dogtooth is now, like, one of the most acclaimed directors in film. But I'm okay with it. Let's keep doing it. Yeah. Give him money. I agree. Kayla, that's my uh, big mood on the favorite. <laughs> what is your movie that you brought to the table today? Uh, the movie that I am going to talk about today is Greg Berlanti's Love, Simon. <laughs> hey, guys. How was the party? It was really fun. Aces. <laughs> he's wearing a woman's sweater and he's drunk. Well, he didn't drive drunk and he's home before curfew, so. That's what I thought we thought. Right? Yeah, we're good parents. Yeah, we're good. Good morning, Creekwood Hog! My name's Simon. For the most part, my life is totally normal. I have a family that I actually like, and there's my friends. We do everything friends do. We drink way too much diced coffee, walk gorging on carbs. So, I'm just like you, except I have one huge-ass secret. Hey! I like your, your boots! I said I like your, your boots! Goodbye. Nobody knows I'm gay. <sighs> Which had hilarious cross-promotion with the TV show Riverdale. But <laughs> no, I'm just kidding. That's uh, not the main thing I want to talk about, about Love, Simon. So this movie is a revelation in a way that it's just a cute, soft teen rom-com about a boy who is gay. And it feels insane that in the year 2018, that's like a revolutionary thing to have a movie about. But I loved this movie and my heart grew 48 sizes <laughs> while watching it. I thought it was funny and charming. And it had a lot of stuff that felt very relatable to me again, which is like the cute movies that I watched this year, I feel that that was the the overarching theme was that I felt like I was being spoken to, even though I am now an adult. <laughs> but uh, Love, Simon in particular, uh, our protagonist, Simon, loves Panic at the Disco, iced coffee, hanging with his friends, drama club, like all this stuff. And as someone who loved all of those things in high school, 
yeah, I felt very seen. But uh, it also has a really great soundtrack featuring artists like Troy Sivan, Bleachers. Again, a very contemporary, well-put-together film about soft gay love in teenagers. <laughs> the, the crux of this movie is that our hero, Simon, knows that he is gay but is not ready to come out. Doesn't like doesn't necessarily it's not necessarily a fear of coming out, like fear of retribution. His parents are loving and supportive. His friends are great friends. It's just about that really delicate balance you have to walk when you know that for the most part everyone's going to be on board but you just are not ready to do it. And unfortunately, <laughs> this movie is also about what happens when somebody gets control of your secret and even though it'll probably be fine, it's just not on the terms that you wanted it to be on. And so the movie is kind of this cat and mouse game between Simon and one of his not so good friends threatening to out him if he doesn't help him get together with a girl that he likes. And I thought you said this was light and fun, Kayla. It, it, it is. It's it's. This po- sounds like bleak blackmail. No, it's and po- suffering. No, it's poignant and fun. On top of that, though, like it's 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 a movie of many things. And so Simon has been writing back and forth anonymous emails to a boy at his school who is also gay but not ready to come out. And so on top of this like sort of blackmail plot, the other plot line is Simon trying to figure out the identity of his like mystery man that he has a crush on. And I don't know. There's just like a lot of great friendship scenes, a lot of great like emotional angst scenes about these things. But the standout of the entire movie for me is – spoilers obviously – but when Simon has been outed and has been dealing with that – His mom, who is a therapist, sits him down to talk about it. And it's Jennifer Garner, who I already, like, feel is my Hollywood mom. So amplifying that on top of this amazing speech where basically she tells him that even if it's not the way that he wanted to come out, it has to, like, feel good in a way because now he can be the most himself version of himself, like the most you that you can be. And... Let me tell you, I had a headache from trying not to cry so hard, like ugly, ugly cry through the last like 40 minutes of this movie. So yeah, if it has that pitfall of like, everything has gone wrong and now I must fix it that like all rom-coms have. But overall, this movie is feel good and something that is desperately needed in a genre. Well, I guess gay is not really a genre, but when you are seeing most films about queer people that are about tragedy and heartbreak and conversion camp and suffering and yada yada. It's nice that it's like a movie where everything works out and everyone feels good and it has a happy ending. And again, I can't believe that it's the year 2018 and I feel revolutionary about this, but it also played a part in re-inspiring me to like start working on my own writing because it's just one of those movies, it's it's the voice you want to see. And so you want to rise to the occasion and bring that same energy to the youths that need it. And that was like a theme of this year is like, wait, we still want rom-coms. We love rom-coms. Let's also make rom-coms for other people. Yeah. With like To All the Boys I Loved Before and Love, Simon and even Crazy Rich Asians, mm-hmm. I think falls in that category. Yeah, for sure. So um, it sounds very nice, Kayla. 2018, baby. I've seen none of those movies. I was busy suffering through like Hereditary and you were never really here. I really recommend and... it. It was, it's good, but also I cried a lot. I cried and I laughed and yeah, that's the theme of also, I guess, all of the not scary movies I watched this year was that I cried and laughed because I felt represented and seen. And that's, that is that's awesome. Thanks. 
Sounds like he had a good year. And, you know, honestly, despite all of the suffering and all of the things going on in the world, it has been a pretty good year. <laughs> and it's a it's strange to be in that juxtaposition of the world is terrible, but like you're feeling pretty good about like your own personal place. But at the same time, that feels like the most fitting way to close out 2018 is to have that war inside of you, I guess, and those feelings. So I guess without further ado on that note, <laughs> let's uh, set aside some of those sufferings and go to our guests who are going to tell you about some movies that also made them feel good. and welcome to Game Night Trivia. I'll be your host, Tyler Grimes, and I'm playing here with Tyler and Kayla. I've got four questions that are going to test your movie knowledge, and we're going to be able to talk about the great 2018 movie Game Night. So my first question, this category is other movies that involve games, and it's a true or false question. So if you know the answer, just buzz in. True or false, the movie Ouija grossed over $100 million at the box office. Buzz. Ah. Who got it? Ooh, I, think it I think that was Tyler. True. True, it did. It made $103 million worldwide. God help us Good. all. Uh, That's insane. I was, I'm glad Tyler got that because I was going to say false and embarrassed Oh, it was I definitely didn't I think it, it made money. <laughs> oh, well, and, and then the second one came pretty close. <laughs> Well, that one was at least directed by Mike Flanagan. So Who we like, yeah. yeah. Yeah, exactly. I haven't seen it, but... Little did we know that we would get so much great other stuff from him. GameNet made $117 million, which is not too bad. So the right game movie won. Yes, exactly. Little did they know they were in competition. I ask this question because... Ouija is, of course, a horror movie that involves board games. But one of my favorite things about Game Night is how so many of the great comedic bits and beats in this movie, with just a slight turn of the camera, could also be beats in a horror movie. Um, so many of those laughs in this movie kind of come from our understanding of horror tropes. And I think that's one of the reasons why this movie is so successful and why the comedy is so good is it works relentlessly hard to surprise us at every corner. And it's not unlike a horror movie in that regard. Yeah, that's... <laughs> all right, Kayla, you, one day you will experience this. I know, but like, it's hmm. very <laughs> Yes. <laughs> <laughs> no, oh, man. Yeah, it is. It, it should be terrifying. But, you know, something about that comedic delivery, uh, the fun comedy of pulling bullets out of your husband's arm. Yeah. I would be oh. really interested to see it like recut as a horror movie, because I think a lot of movies are really interesting when you can do that. 
and and they're they go so well together because they're based off the same premise. It's set up punchline. Um, just in a horror movie, it's usually a, a more violent punchline, right? But it's you have to do the same thing to get to that point. And I think that's why we love the good horror comedies so much as well. It's because they 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 are the same thing. It's just it's just how you sort of stick the landing that sets you apart. Excellent. Yeah, I love that. <laughs> All right. So our second question, uh, this is, uh, this category is cast, uh, movie cast. So it's going to be about a cast member from uh, game night here. This might be pretty easy. Just buzz in. If you know it, Jesse Plemons co-starred with Rihanna in what aquatic action movie? Bzz. Tyler. Battleship. Battleship. Of course. Yeah. <laughs> I should have known that because it's a game. Dang it. It is another <laughs> game. Exactly. Um <laughs> Jesse Plemons is just outstanding in this movie. So Jesse plays uh, Gary, the the creepy next door neighbor to our uh, main characters and former attendee of Game Night. And he has recently gone through a divorce. The, the woman that he was married to was the friend of the group. And so now that they're divorced, he is not invited over to Game Night anymore. And he's a cop. And the stuff that he's doing in this movie is just it pains me how funny he is. This, this great character, super dry delivery and just occupies all this space. He's in this Shakespearean play uh, that nobody else is in. And the, the weight that he sort of gives to these different scenes really helps uh, make this movie even fuller for me. Oh, so I have a question related to battleship though. Yeah. By the same thing that you could cut battleship into a horror movie. If you just changed the camera angle, do you think you could cut battleship into a comedy by doing that? Oh man. I don't know if battleship is savable no matter what you do. to it. <laughs> you might say it's sunk. Yeah. <laughs> boo. Okay. Tyler's kicked off the podcast, but I'm winning You've been in a long time. <laughs> This movie also gives us the the rare um, Friday Night Lights reunion with Jesse Plemons and Kyle Chandler as our uh, sort of uh, the character that we're all chasing down in this movie. And I'm a huge Friday Night Lights fan. I don't know about the two of you. I, I know people who are huge Friday Night Lights fans. Not, I have never tried it. You know, aforementioned uh, not sports savvy, so I have never seen that. <laughs> but Kayla, you see, the wonder about Friday Night Lights is like it's a great sports show, but it's also just like a great show for non-sports fans. It, it really is, though, uh, yeah. and it's my it's my favorite show of all time. And so, anytime I see any of the cast, I like to think that that's just what their character from Friday Night Lights is doing now. So. When Michael B. Jordan is training in Creed 2, that's really just his character from Friday Night Lights. And when we have Kyle Chandler showing up, uh, that's that's just Coach, and he's just hit a rough patch in his life. Um, I was so going to say, a coach, is, a coach has changed. <laughs> and he's just he's done such a great job recently of kind of playing scumbags every once in a while, whether it's in Game Night or Spectacular Now. He, he really subverts himself, I think, in some exciting ways. Uh, he's also a douchebag in Carol, 2015, directed by Todd Haynes. <laughs> yes, <laughs> he is so good in that. Um, but also Rachel McAdams, I think, is awesome in this film. Jason Bateman's doing what Jason Bateman does. Uh, he's got sort of, you know, the range of like vegetables. He can do one thing really <laughs> well, in my opinion. But I love what Rachel McAdams does here. She she plays, the she walks that goofy 
not knowledgeable line while still being incredibly competent as a character. Uh, And a lot of these characters in this movie are competent. So when you see them in these sort of crazy situations, uh, it's all the more impressive to me. Rachel McAdams reminded me of like watching Rose Byrne in Neighbors where I'm like, wow, she's so good at this. Let's get like 12 more comedies starring these people. Yes. I love that. That's a perfect comparison there, I think. Excellent. Ready for question number three? Yeah, I'm going to end every segment with excellent, I guess. <laughs> Good. <laughs> okay, so this is uh, this is board game trivia, question number three. And uh, it's going to be connected to our previous question. And I'm going to give you four options. So it's multiple choice. Buzz in once I read all four options. What is the largest ship in the game Battleship? Is it the cruiser, the battleship, the submarine, or the carrier? <laughs> Ooh. It's the carrier. It is the Dang aircraft it. <laughs> carrier. It's got the five pegs. Yeah. So I that one too. <laughs> you were so close. I can't believe I'm going to lose this so badly. <laughs> yeah, there, you have no chance of coming back anymore. There's, we have no tiebreaker. <laughs> it's okay. So another awesome part about this movie is we have a, a, a great big, like a reasonably budget mainstream comedy here going with the R rating. Um, but it's not necessarily as situational, I think, as most comedies are. A lot of the comedy really is coming from just the storytelling that's happening uh, and the great characters that are in the, this story. And we were talking earlier about how the characters are, even if they're varying levels of intelligence, they're all competent because they're all game players. And so many of the different situations that they find themselves throughout the movie that they find themselves in, they're just big versions of games. We sort of, as they go through it, they play Simon Says, they play uh, Hot Potato in that great Fabergé egg um, simulated long take sequence, right? Where they're getting chased through this big mansion. Uh, They play charades during the final act of the film to try and convey information to each other. We have that couple uh, who are trying to figure out who the other one slept with, and they're playing guess who the whole show, the whole movie, right? And even, of course, the bullet scene, which is the, the the like the primo scene in this movie, is Operation, right? So they don't ever stop playing games. And I think when I originally watched this movie, I was not expecting much. But when that happened, it just sort of is what took my breath away most, is just how smart I thought the script was, uh, that they never stop playing these games throughout the whole film. Yeah, I love that thread too, because my least favorite kind of comedy is like that kind of comedy of errors where everything's just going wrong all the time and you're just stressed the entire time. Like they're running late. Now the blanket's on fire. Now the dog is running out the door. Like just like that kind of stuff is not funny to me. It just makes me anxious. So that makes me really relieved because I feel like every time a comedy gets big like it has like a big box officer does really well it's like that kind of comedy where you just like kind of feel bad the whole time mm-hmm. as opposed to feeling like a valued and intelligent member of society <laughs> yeah is it like I, I just like i don't want to like have shot in front of for people in comedies you know like i want to feel good i want to laugh i don't want to be like oh my god like now the fish is jumping out of the bowl and the daughter is like putting <laughs> her face in the toilet i don't know you know what i'm saying like stuff like that where it's just like everything's going wrong over and over and over again and it's not really funny it's just stressful so it's like the cat in the hat movie is your nightmare then 
Oh my God. We're watching specifically right now, Ben and I are watching this show on Netflix called Sick Note. And it's about this guy like faking cancer and like trying not to get caught faking cancer. And it's just, it's like that where something is just like on the verge of going wrong at any given moment. And I'm like, one, you're faking cancer. So like, I don't really even feel bad for you on top of the fact that this is stressful. Like, I don't know. So like, I'm really glad to hear that it's not that kind of movie. Yeah. Excellent. <laughs> <laughs> um, I do want to say like one more thing too of connecting it. So because these characters are so competent and they're they're presented at the beginning as these like every man or every woman type people. And so like in a horror movie, we love when our characters are smart and intelligent and make good decisions and then still get caught in new new situations, right? And so the characters in here are very much in that that same vein as uh, no matter how crazy the situation sort of gets, because again, they're using game logic. As an audience member, you can go, oh yeah, that's that might be how I would have done it, um, which for me creates a little more investment. For sure. If anything, it's their competence that gets them in trouble because they exactly. keep get, finding the next step. My last question. So this is uh, music. Composer Cliff Martinez was born in which New York City borough, also home to the New York Yankees? Yes. <laughs> oh, God. I Queens, right? Ooh, Queens incorrect. Oh, man. Kayla. Kayla? Uh, okay. All right. I have to redeem myself. Uh, home to the New York Yankees. The Bronx? Yes, the Bronx is oh, correct. <laughs> Course, you did it. Oh, I got one. You got the sports <laughs> Only water. because Tyler failed. <laughs> <laughs> the Bronx Bombers. Yes. And so that brings me to Cliff Martinez, who uh, for me has the most incredible contribution of anyone to this film. And again, in a movie that was constantly full of surprises, both in terms of quality and in terms of script, to sort of have this really dark, gritty score attached to it it really, really stood out to me and helped make these moments all the more unpredictable while still connecting to that horror route. Because um, we got the same guy who did Drive and Only God Forgives and the Neon Demon and these sort of like electronic scores that have come to like really shape how I enjoy movies in this mainstream comedy. And I felt like it added so much more texture to it than your typical comedy score. When was the last time you saw a comedy where you were like, oh, the, the score to that was great. I, I can't tell you the last time that I felt that. Yeah, I wish you could have just seen my face when Tyler just pulled up the IMDb page and scrolled through it. <laughs> that yeah. was not what I was expecting. No, this, oh, yeah. this I can't believe I forgot the score because it's so like, uh, it doesn't need to be this good for this movie, but it's so no. good. It just made it... Uh, this totally brand new experience for me. This is totally off topic, but I pulled up his IMDb and I can't believe whatever IMDb algorithm, however it works, the first movie that he's known for is only God forgives. And I just want to know how is that the one, but that's the whole other thing. <laughs> but yeah, oh, the score, I remember his name popped up in the closing credits. Cause I didn't know going in that it was him. I'm like, Oh my God, that makes so much sense. Cause I was having such a good time with the music. It's like such a weird, but perfect combination. Yeah, and I feel like now that, you know, unfortunately, because so many movies did such a great job of like incorporating that 80s synth style score back into contemporary films, so many movies are doing it just to do it and they're sort of getting lost in the mix. And so 
what I like about his work is it still gives me that electronic feel without being entirely dependent on being nostalgic for this era that really I wasn't even alive for. I just get to, I just love the movies from it. Um, and so it feels so much more present and so much more current than anything else that you can sort of do in that situation. I feel like. Yes. Just everything about this movie, like it just, it's, it's so good. And I just still can't believe it works as well as it does. And that all the different parts work together and that it's, that is just like straight up good. Not, I can't believe they tried to do this. What a crazy thing. Good. You know, one of those things. Yeah, <laughs> yeah absolutely. But excellent. So Kayla, you have reclaimed your pride a little bit. Yeah, I was able to answer one entire question. Um, yeah. So do you have any final points that you want to make about the movie, Tyler? Or just- um, I think the last point I, I want to sort of make, um, I, I maybe have been making this point throughout the whole thing, but it was it's so rare for me, especially in the way that I consume films and television. I know the way that, y- that you consume art that with the constant trailers we get and the the news articles we get, I feel like it is so hard to genuinely be surprised by something these days. And it's gotten to the point where like I have to like ration myself off from reading too much about something that's coming out because otherwise it'll be spoiled for me and that will affect my enjoyment. And so truthfully, this film just surprised me at every moment. And it, I haven't felt that in a really long time. And so that's my favorite part of it is how the way it, the way it surprised me. But then again, the way that surprise is the recurring theme throughout the whole story um, that with all the twists and turns that, that, that happened to it. So if you have not seen this movie uh, I, I think it's worth everyone's time, even if you don't end up loving it purely because of that surprising roller coaster you're going to go on. Awesome. Thank you so much for joining us and for having such a fun concept. Oh, I'm very, very happy that you all had me back. I appreciate it. Yeah, you're welcome anytime, obviously. Tyler, do you have anything you would like to plug since you introduced yourself as opposed to us introducing you at the beginning? Uh, Sure. Uh, Last time I plugged my personal podcast that I have not done an episode for in a year. So I would like to plug uh, another podcast that I work for. Distilled Theater Company is a theater company that I'm the managing director of, and we've been based out of New York City for a long, long time. And for the past six years, we've done original radio plays that we've released as podcasts. And that show is called DTC Radio, and we're in the middle of our sixth and final season. So if you would like to listen to if you would like to listen to some original audio dramas written by Uh, contemporary playwrights uh, for the radio. You can't hear them anywhere else. Uh, We're on iTunes, DTC Radio. And again, we're in the middle of our last season. Uh, I wrote a play this season. It's going to be the last episode of the last season. So um, if you just subscribe, you'll get to listen to it. And our theme this year is all uh, stories that take place five years in the future. And we've had some really cool Black Mirror-esque takes on that. So that's, that's the only plug I got for you. Very cool. Sounds amazing, to be honest. So thank you. Awesome. Well, again, thank you for joining us. And we can't wait to have you back soon. And when you're defeated by love, you're utterly defeated. My mind at Waterloo, Napoleon did surrender. Oh, yeah. And I have met my destiny in quite a similar way. The history book on the shelf is 
always repeating itself. Oh, I was defeated, you won the war. Joining us now is Megan Moore, the digital lady at The Daily Progress. Hi, Megan. Hello, hello. All right. We are so excited to hear what movie you have brought to us this year because we always think that you bring like the interesting and quirky movie. So please (laughs) tell us which movie you've chosen this year. This year is one of the few movies I've actually seen, which is Mamma Mia 2, Here We Go Again. Yes. (laughs) (laughs) It brings joy. Well, I mean, I watched it with one of my coworkers in probably the first month of me working at the Daily Progress, and we both sat in the movie theater and cried with the rest of the audience because we are actually middle-aged ladies who cry over everything. (laughs) (laughs) But in all fairness, it is the follow-up to the original Mamma Mia movie, which, as we all know, stars the wonderful Meryl Streep. And the second one features Cher. So if you haven't seen this and you really like musicals and you really like ABBA or ABBA or however the heck it's pronounced, (laughs) I would highly recommend watching it because it is fun. And who doesn't love amazing 70s fashion? I can't think of a single person who should who would say that they don't. And you know what? I don't want to think of those people. Yeah. Um, Admittedly, Tyler and I have not seen this movie. So... What is it about this movie that makes it for you like your number one pick of the year? Well, it's not just because there's Cher in it. (laughs) (laughs) Elaborate, Cher? Yes, Cher. (laughs) Always Cher. But it was actually a lot better than the first one, which surprised me a whole lot, despite a slight spoiler here, not as much Meryl as the first one. But you know, it's all okay because Cher, duh. And it's just this feel-good story that actually provides more of the story behind the first one, like more of background about Meryl Streep's character as a whole. And young Meryl Streep, I cannot remember for the life of me the name of who she actually played in the movie, Donna. There we go. It's Donna. <laughs> it's, that's like the problem with Meryl Streep is you just have this overarching Meryl Streepness. <laughs> yes. And, and now we have me shouting Donna. <laughs> but we have Lily James who plays young Donna in the film. And oh my goodness, my heart just swelled so much. And she has an amazing voice. She brought a lot of life to young Donna. And it actually explains a lot about the first movie that some people probably didn't pick up on. (laughs) I have heard that like the first one is a good time, but completely nonsensical. So it makes sense. 
Um, I do want to get your opinion on this. I read a fascinating thing on Twitter the other day saying that for years and years, they couldn't decide what to do for a sequel. And somebody told the writer to just do The Godfather 2. And so that the entire plot of Mamma Mia 2 is basically the same plot as The Godfather 2. Do you agree with this? Oh my God, I haven't seen that movie in forever. So I can't really say yes or no to that. That is an interesting theory. And I'm probably going to have to bring that up with my coworker who I saw it with because he is in the know about all things movies and pop culture. And he'd probably get along with both of you because he is a huge horror fan too. <laughs> yes. Good people. The Good tribe. People. <laughs> yeah. Yes. He, he's wonderful and I love him. But, huh, I'm going to have to think on that. We're going to have to do like an expose where like we do, we dissect <laughs> both of them. <laughs> They're obviously the same artistic caliber. So like no, no problem there. No, yeah. <laughs> the only problem that I can see is that The Godfather 2 doesn't have share. That's very true. No. <laughs> and it doesn't have the flashy 70s outfits. So I'm going to go ahead and also give another brief spoiler here, but it's not enough to totally ruin the movie for those who haven't seen it. In the final musical number, they bring together everyone in the cast. And these people are literally wearing the best outfits I have ever seen in my entire life. We've got sequined pantsuits and jumpsuits. And, oh, there, there's just so much that I was just like, so how do I figure out how to do this for Halloween? Because this is amazing. And I would like to wear this every day of my life and not just because it's full of sequins. I think we have a friend that's into costuming. Maybe we could like connect you guys and you could work out like a, a Mamma Mia costuming thing. Oh, yes, please. <laughs> I mean, also Colin Firth in sequins is a gem. I mean, I can't argue with that. Yeah. So actually, as mm -hmm. someone who has not seen either of these movies, but was um, on the internet during the time when this came out, <laughs> and it was like the only thing that anyone was talking about, what is the deal with the three dudes? Is it that she didn't know who the father was, and now they're all the father? Are they all daddy? Yes. Like <laughs> They essentially all had a hand in raising Donna's daughter. And it's just the strangest thing. They still don't even know who the father is. I think I think in the first one, she just made the decision not to find out because she loved all three men. What a beautiful co-parenting relationship. And I was like, so Mamma Mia, like a, a definite like win for polyamorous <laughs> uh, representation. Or just like... Uh, like Non-traditional family unit representation. there we are. Yeah. There we go. <laughs> and if I remember correctly, I think one of the guys is also gay. It just keeps. I can't believe I haven't seen this. This is like hitting all of the things that I like. I'm gonna have to watch both of these movies, and Ben is going to hate it. And everyone's gonna have to report back on what we've learned. Yeah. If it's anything, Spencer flat out refused to see it with me, and he was very happy when he found out that I had someone to go see it with. Also, because he just doesn't like fun and doesn't like musicals. <laughs> so how do you not? He like fun? is a weenie. What about, what about uh, sequence? He's not exactly fond of that either. I have this great sequin shirt that I got at H&M last year. And he's just like, don't wear that in public. Why would you do this to me? I'm like, it sounds like he's not living how? with the spirit of Meryl Streep or the spirit of Cher. Mm -hmm. So Very I don't true. know. No. <laughs> Maybe we should all like we should just force somebody to watch this movie and then report back on only their <laughs> reactions. <laughs> 
gosh. I think we need to analyze the Mamma Mia movies and see like what effect that certain uh, performances have and then use those songs to teach people to learn to love fun and sequence. Mm-hmm. Yeah, what's your uh, what's your favorite musical number from this out of curiosity? Oh my gosh, there are so many. Do we want the one that made me cry like a baby in the movie theater? Or do we want the one that just was unbelievable? And oh man, I'm actually looking <laughs> up both. I was going to say yes. <laughs> yeah, so there's a scene in the movie that's basically Meryl Streep singing about everything. It's just life in general and how baby came to be. And I was just like, this is amazing. Why would anyone not want to see this? Tears everywhere. And just, oh, it was wonderful. But also we have Waterloo, which is one of the first musical numbers in the film. And it's just this really fun, let's dance in a restaurant and learn about the Battle of Waterloo. Amazing. Yes. I love it. <laughs> but also, like, that is also tied with Andante, Andante. And, ugh, just, ugh, chills every time. <laughs> now I'm going to want to sing that for the rest of the day. I'm going to continue to bake and just sing that over and over. Uh, before baking and singing, so, like, what, is, what do you think your, your final takeaway, your final point on the movie is? It was wholesome. It was wonderful. It made my tiny Grinch heart grow about 10 sizes what it normally is. And it was just, it's something that everyone should see because who doesn't love the music of ABBA? How could you not like Swedish pop? It's it's just one of those things. If if Eurovision hadn't existed, we wouldn't have ABBA, and therefore we wouldn't have the musical on Broadway called Mamma Mia, and we wouldn't have the movies. It's true. Thank and you, yeah. Sweden. And, it, <laughs> and it's also like, we're living in such a horrible time. Just let yourself enjoy things. <laughs> like, do the sequins and the ABBA and the, the share. I don't know. Just have a great time. <laughs> exactly. And I mean... Cher's character in the movie, when the big reveal was who she actually was, everyone's jaws dropped and we were just like, we are not worthy to be in this presence right now. Megan, thanks so much for joining us and telling us, telling us like how we can experience joy to like its fullest extent in this cold time of the year. You know what? Before we wrap up here, I do have to say, I liken the second Mamma Mia to the new Mitski album because it's full of dancing and then you end up crying and then you end up crying and dancing. That does sound very familiar. I love to combine Mitski with other things. It's my favorite way to live also. Mm -hmm. Exactly. (laughs) Always. Do you have any other stuff that you'd like to plug before we, before we go? Well, I did just get some good news yesterday where not only will I continue to be the digital lady over at our paper, but I will be a music writer for our new entertainment section called The Buzz. Yes, that's so awesome. Congrats. We're going to have less calendars and more actual stuff about arts. So I am super stoked on this. I'm excited to be out of my semi-retirement. It's good to be back. That's amazing. Yeah. Uh, For all listening, Megan is a great writer who has done many great music things in the past, and she should be getting paid to do it. So it's awesome that that's happening. 
finally. <laughs> right. <laughs> awesome. Well, again, thank you so, so much. And yes, thank you for talk. having me on here. You're welcome. We will talk to you soon. Quand j'étais petite, je taisais comme une fleur. J'adorais les mythes, mais tous ces mots m'en faisaient peur. J'adore mon poisson rouge, il m'appelle jour et nuit. J'aime mon jardin de roses, l'odeur me rend heureuse. C'est le silence qui me parle, comme si c'était Charles. Quand on fait l'amour, il n'y a pas de discours. Quand on fait l'amour, il n'y a pas de discours. Quand on fait l'amour. And sitting with me now is a frequent guest longtime friend, an expert drummer, and a gritty enthusiast, Eva Friedman. Hey, what's How's up? How's it going, Eva? Good. I never know how to like sign on to these things. I think I always just kind of sound like a drunk white girl. That's okay, because I, as far as I know, you are drunk every time you've been on. That's true. Okay. Maybe next year I'll do it that way. Okay. You know, I, like, just make sure I forget, though, because it'll be a nice surprise. But even, oh, I won't. We'll never talk about it again. We only have so much. <laughs> we only have so much time. What what 2018 movie did you love and want to share with us today? So I saw a ton of movies this year. Shout out to the now awful Movie Pass, and a lot of those movies that I saw, I actually really loved. Uh, but the one that like I just can't stop thinking about is A Simple Favor. And I've heard great things about A Simple Favor, and I definitely meant to go see it, but then I never got around to it. So tell me, what makes A Simple Favor so wonderful? I think that they found a really incredible tone with the movie where it's this balance of thriller and mystery, but it also is just a huge amount of fun, and it's silly, and it's weird. And I think, as is with most Anna Kendrick stuff, I think that she was just so perfectly cast. Um, it's probably my favorite performance of hers to date. Um, that I just don't think that anyone could have really moved the film in the direction that it needed to move the way that she did. Um, it, it's just a really complete fun movie. That's I, I, I almost don't even know how to talk about it, which if you've listened to me on this podcast before is probably strange. But um, it, it, I just can't remember a time that I had that much fun watching a movie. It flies by. Anytime I thought I knew what was going to happen, it went in a different direction. You could tell that everyone involved in making it was having a great time. It was just a really strong case of an entire team coming together, knowing what they wanted to do and executing it really well. That's well, very succinct and good. And uh, obviously, big Anna Kendrick fan. But you also have Blake Lively playing the other uh, main role. And the movie was directed by Paul Feig, who's pretty good at movie stuff. But uh, I will say, looking at the IMDb, I do notice that he actually didn't write it. It was written by a woman based on a book by a woman as well, which seems pretty important con considering like you know, the plot of the movie itself, which I don't know that much about, but... 
I don't, I didn't know anything about the book. I didn't read the book. Um, I can't speak to how any of that translates, but I think, I think Paul Feig has been a lot of fun in recent years. I think he's taking on a lot of fun projects. And I think that this was a really exciting choice for him. Also, also gotta say, I thought Henry Golding was like the perfect dream hunk for this movie. Um, he was also super fun to watch. And Linda Cardellini also gave a really fun performance. There really wasn't anything that I didn't like about this movie. And it it took me a long time to figure out what I wanted to talk about on the podcast. But this was really the one that I landed on because I just can't find anything I didn't like about it. I will say it does look like it's going to hit. Uh, well, not streaming, but VOD pretty soon here. So I do look forward to maybe catching it before the end of the year. I mean, you've given a really nice, concise pitch for it. Is there anything you want to finish up with? Any like final points or especially loved parts of the movie that you want to share? Um, I think the final point is that Blake Lively as a power bitch in Suits all the time is something that the world really needed more of this year. And I personally am grateful that we got it. And I hope that we get it again. And as always, Anna Kendrick is the greatest. And I I think I I was I appreciate that you said that I was really well spoken because that meant that it was gonna go out the window. <laughs> which it has. <laughs> That's okay. I imagine this movie, like if you like it enough, it might even leave you tongue tied. So that speaks to the quality of the movie itself, that you're just not quite sure what, what to say. Yeah, the I think the point of the movie is Blake Lively in Suits. And I think that the point of more movies should be Blake Lively in Suits. So we should look forward to uh, a simpler favor and then uh, a simplest favor, completing the Blake Lively in Suits trilogy. Yes, I I would love more if I don't. I ugh. I gotta say, this is a good-looking suit. Like, just the material of, like, the, the tie she's got on in this picture. Very quality. Very Everything dapper. Everything that she wears in this movie is just, like, a personal attack. <laughs> like, I will I will throw myself under the bus, and they, in one of the scenes with her, I had to take my jacket off and fan myself. I will admit to that just for you guys. This is a safe podcast. I know only Tyler listens to these. Um, I know I didn't just broadcast to the world. Yeah, it's. I think if if you like Anna Kendrick, you're going to love this. I think if you like Paul Feig, you're going to love this. I think if you don't like Paul Feig, you're going to love this. And I think if you want to see Blake Lively in suits, you're going to love this. That encompasses probably a lot of people, especially since you said if you like or don't like Paul Feig. I think you got just about everyone there. I would classify myself as a Paul Feig fan, but I know a lot of people who aren't. That's not me endorsing not being a fan of him. <laughs> but I think that there's – I I would hope that there are people who aren't not seeing it because Paul Feig was involved. Um, I don't really think it's like anything he's done before. Um, and I, I really think it's worth watching. Excellent. Well, thank you for sharing that with us, Eva. Where can the people find you and your work? So the people can find me um, on Twitter at Eva underscore Friedman, um, spelt fried man, but pronounced Friedman. And then on Instagram as Eva plays the drums, 
Uh, you can also find my band as Staircase Spirits everywhere and on Twitter as This Is SCS. And you can find Tyler where he tells you to find him. <laughs> they know where to find us. You know, they'll find us in places if they want to find us. I'm not super worried about it. I'm just reminding everyone. Oh, well, thank you. I appreciate that. As always, Eva, thank you for joining us. I'm sure we'll have you back on in like two weeks or two months or, you know, some sort of time. And I look forward to when that happens. Same here. I can't wait. Woke up in the fortress of distortion. I'm at war with my emotions. I'm at war with they enforce me. Trying to fight for what's right and got sidetracked. Where your mind at? Never mind that. Can't be thinking the blink. You swimming, you sinking. You wouldn't, you leaving the heaven. I loaded my weapon. I stay with my brethren. I pray for protection. My prayer in my sight. So I'm doing what's right and not asking no questions. I want to be home free. Where's one that was lonely? But I'm ready and waiting. For my day of salvation, and I'm patient.